0: Welcome to Rome Community Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. We're in Acts 27. <laughs> next week is Acts 28. <laughs> we're we're going to wrap it up soon. This is exciting. And I also want to let you know what book we're going to go in next. Jonah so, so we're going to start Jonah in two weeks. Um, we do have some of those scripture journals which this one is a little bit more than just Jonah. You get uh, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, but we'll just stick with Jonah, but it's good for you to have. you can make notes. Uh, you could pick one up. There's a few copies left. you could pick one up. you could give a donation if you like to um, um, as the church purchased these. but uh, the thing I like about this and that's usually when I do my study, I use this and I just go to town and write in, in it. Um, And so you could have it as your own personal, kind of like how you study and things like that. Um, And there's just the way it works is scriptures on like one side and then there's lines on the other, which is great uh, because my Bible doesn't have that. But anyway, so this is something that helps. But um, you can pick that up and we'll be in Jonah in a couple weeks. Kind of here's a little bit of like the plan going forward, too. Uh, We'll be in Jonah for about four weeks. There's four chapters. We'll do a chapter a week. After that, we're going to spend some time in the Book of Psalms. Uh, they're going to just be random psalms, psalms that I love, and I'm going to ask some other people to teach some psalms and psalms, a psalm that they love. And so, I wish I could say there's some really good like organization to that, but it's just going to be like, here's some, a psalm for the week, uh, and just we're going to spend some time in the summer, and then uh, kind of winding down summer, we'll jump into the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll kind of do that for a little bit. So just kind of moving forward with some direction and uh, where the Lord's laid on my heart. Uh, Acts 27 really um, kind of ties in with Acts 28, but I didn't want to just say, let's finish it up in one, one Sunday because uh, it's a lot to cover, but they kind of go hand in hand as we wind down. Um, will you pray with me as we go before the Lord in his word? Uh, God, thank you for today again. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your word. It is sweet, it is precious, it is rich. We ask that the Holy Spirit would bring it to our minds and our hearts that there would be conviction and going forward. Uh, Lord, we even saying about how you are enough. That in every situation and every circumstance, Lord, could we be content? And that's a good question. And we see in the life of Paul and how his contentment was in you, even in a storm. And maybe we're in a storm right now, or we'll be in a storm. Would we rest in you? Would we say you are enough? Would it be an example to this world? God, we need you, and we ask these things of you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I've shared this story with you before, but it's one that is going to be just pressed upon my heart and one that's dear to me, but it's the missionary uh, of the 19th century, John G. Patton. God called John to go to, at a very young age, of the age of 19, to be a missionary to the island uh, which we call now Vanuatu. And it was uh, during that time when travel wasn't easy. It would take over a month, maybe possibly two months to get to. Um, It's when there wasn't quick communication. You'd write a letter and you wouldn't hear back for at least two months kind of thing. It would be a quick turnaround. Not really. Uh, but it would be one of those things where you could write a letter in response to something and their life of the, that person changed in that time before they even got your response. You know, it just wasn't quick. Um, John was in Scotland and he had a very, very fruitful ministry with, with the, reaching the inner city, the, the poor and the youth. And when he announced his plans to go to Vanuatu, He was greeted with criticism. Um, He was this promising young man that people were like, "But look at what God's doing right here in Scotland. Uh, God's using you." It was growing immensely, um, and how God was using him. And yet, he said, "No, God has called me to go to these islands, which he found out before going that was announced that the previous missionaries that were there, maybe a decade or so before, were killed by the islanders and were eaten. There were cannibals on the island." And one, on one encounter in Patton's autobiography he recalls a conversation with a man named Mr. Dixon. And after he announced the plan to go to this island, um, Mr. Dixon runs up to him and says, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. Like, why would you go? You're going to throw your life away and be eaten by the cannibals. He's trying to just persuade him, like, why are you wasting your life that way? But I love... John Patton's response at such a young age shows his depth of wisdom as well as reliance on the Lord. He says, Mr. Dixon, you're you're advanced in years now, which I love. He's like basically saying you're old. Uh, And it says, and your prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Take that. <laughs> Here's a young man that counted the cost, that was willing to go even at the danger that laid ahead of him. The life of Paul, which we have read, is not one of a boring life. It's not bland. If anything, it seems that he went through trial after trial after trial. Uh, In Acts chapter 23 through chapters 28, really is a series of events of Paul trying to get to Rome in one sense. Uh, Remember, Jesus appeared to him and promised him that he would go where? To Rome. In chapter 23. And here we're kind of following those lines of him getting there. He was in Caesarea for two years in custody. And then we come to where he's actually going to go. But one thing we know for sure, and I'm sure you could attest to this, is God's timing is not our timing. But can I tell you something? God's timing is perfect. There's no doubt about it that God's timing is perfect. Just like Abraham who received the promise that he would be a father... Well into his old age and not bearing children, there was a promise, and as it would come years later, but none the less, the promise of God, God's perfect timing, came true, and the same is true for you and for me. God is perfect in His timing. Waiting sometimes is hard. I know, waiting's hard, but there's these promises from God that we're reminded of, of where God is faithful and waiting on them, which may be hard, is the best thing, because it's God's timing and His ways. And so in those two years that Paul was in Caesarea, think about what took place. We only get like just a glimpse of it. We know that he was able to have this liberty to meet with friends, so ministry still happened. It just maybe looked a little different for him. That didn't stop. He was able to preach boldly, before officials remember king agrippa his wife bernice as well as these these people in royalty and dignitaries and the tribunes and high commanders like there's people that he would never have an audience before and he was able to because of god's timing and god's way and god's perfection and god leading and this was fulfilling what was going to happen remember ananias in acts chapter 9 when Paul, on the road to Damascus, was going into Damascus after he met the Lord, was blinded, and Ananias was told by the Lord to pray over Paul. He said that he would go before Gentiles as well as kings and the children of Israel and that he'd suffer much. And that all took place. And so now we come to chapter 27 when he's finally leaving Caesarea. Read verse 1 with me. We'll start there. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustine cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adermintium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus and a Macedonian for Thessalonica. We'll stop there. Uh, Just as we kind of move into this, and I'll kind of maybe summarize some parts just to kind of go over. Uh, First off, notice in verse 1, it uses the pronoun we. Luke is accompanying... Um, Paul at this time. He actually has been for some time. Uh, Many times we see where Luke is using the pronoun we or us, and he's with Paul. So it wasn't just uh, he's documenting what he heard from other people, he also is an eyewitness in these accounts. And so he's kind of taking both. So he's traveling with Paul from Caesarea to Italy. And as we see that, um, I don't want to overlook the fact that that testifies a lot to, I think, Paul's character and to his friendship, and to the type of person he was. If you're taking notes, write down this. Number one, in in the storm, Paul's influence and character pointed to Christ. And that's what we see, is that Paul was able to have this character influence, and people wanted to be around him and travel with him. And let me tell you, Paul wasn't the easiest travel companion. Uh, think about all the stuff he went through. Second Corinthians 11, which you guys know, but this he documents all that he went through. He said in uh, chapter 11, verse 24, five times are received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. That was five different occasions. He's whipped pretty badly. Uh, three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned with big rocks that he was left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. So... Not just what we're reading about here, but there's other occasions he was shipwrecked. Like, I don't know if I want to get on a boat with you, Paul. Like, look at your your chances of getting into a shipwreck. He says, A night and a day he was adrift at sea. He was on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship and through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then, verse 28, he caps, puts a cherry on top, the one that burdened him the most. And apart from all other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So if I were to say, hey, I'm going on a journey, let me read you my history of all that I've gone through, and then say, would you like to go with me? I'm sure you would kind of have to question, like, hmm, I don't know. Is this something that I really want to go? So this was a risk for Luke to go on because he knew there was danger. Traveling at this time anyways was dangerous and risky, but yet knowing, well, there's a lot of things that have happened to Paul already. And then knowing that these men would be gone for who knows how long, away from their comforts, away from their families, and they're willing to travel with Paul and be with him. The other name mentioned, Aristarchus, not not much is known about him, but we do know that a prisoner could be accompanied by family members or friends. This was allowed as a Roman citizen. In Colossians chapter four, verse ten, and Philemon verse twenty-four, he is labeled by Paul as a fellow prisoner. We don't know if he was imprisoned in Caesarea and became a believer at that time and traveled with Paul. Um, We don't know exactly the details of how he got to the, but Paul labels him my fellow prisoner. Was this a willing prisoner, meaning I'm going with him as um, acknowledging myself to follow along with Paul? We don't know. But it does speak of Paul's influence and character that these men would risk their lives, and because it was with Paul, they're willing to go. It's interesting that Paul has also gone through so much already. And then here in Acts 27, there's more to come. And in Acts 28, there's still more to come. I kind of get to this point and I ask like, Lord, how much more can this man endure? I mean, he just was imprisoned. He went through so many other beatings and different things that took place, and yet, you're just trying to get him to Rome. And yet, how much more? But I'm blown away that we don't see Paul complaining. In fact when it seems like all hope was lost, is the terms that even Luke uses in this chapter? He is confident in the Lord. Church, is your confidence in the Lord even in the, when everyone else's hope is lost? Oh, that's, that's a test right there. And my hope is in the Lord. Paul understood that his life was in God's hands. He knew that God was doing what God was doing in his life. And he reflected upon that promise that he would go where? To Italy. To Rome. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, this is where Paul boldly told Timothy that he was being poured out as a drink offering, meaning that he knows that his life was to be spent. And part of that being spent means that there would be suffering. That part of his life being spent means that there's going to be trials or there'd be these storms. He victoriously shouted to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. It says, he wrote, It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Those are words of a man who is confident in the Lord even when things were hard or the storms of life. Now, if you continue reading um, this, and uh, like I said, we'll go over some of it, but it'd be... Time-wise, I wish I could, but we could look at a map and see all the places. Luke is very detailed in his account. He actually shows of how they went from one place to the next and where they're trying to basically find shelter from the storms and go along the ways. The type of ship they were in, the Adrymitium, was a small ship that was used to go from basically hugging the coast. It was most likely only six feet in length. It was very small. It was not intended to endure the open waters of the Mediterranean Sea. And so they were on that at first. In verse 3, as we keep on reading, he says, The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go with his friends and be cared for. We'll stop there. So again, here's another aspect of Paul's character being shown. A prisoner was being released by the centurion to say, go with your friends. Like, that's okay. We landed here. Go, Go on a day of travel almost. You know, he's like, hey, you're cared for because... He didn't have to worry about Paul never coming back or saying like freedom and running away and like, woohoo, come get me on this island. Anyway, uh, probably because they couldn't go very far. But uh, it was one of those things that speaks highly again of Paul's character that the centurion was willing to trust him to say, yes, go on, leave with your friends. Be cared for. To meet up with. Just remember the world watches us as believers and how we respond to things. They do. Um, I'm guilty where sometimes, yes, I've responded in the flesh and I'm like, man, I blew my witness somehow, some way. But I have to always remember that how do we respond when these moments come? And for whatever reason, we don't see the details. We don't see what kind of conversations took place. Maybe a note was given to the centurion saying, hey, Paul's here. He's, he's a good guy. You can trust him. He, he appealed to Caesar. That's why he's on his way to Rome. Don't worry about him. Maybe it was one of those things that was passed on from how he was previously. Maybe there was conversations that took place with Paul in the centurion. And he was like, man, there's something different about you, Paul. And he knew that he wasn't the typical criminal that he was trying to transport. We don't know. All we know is that his life reflected Christ and allowed for him to do this. And that's what people see in us. They need to see in us as believers. In verses 4-8, through we get an amount of detail that Luke gives. Um, going from traveling from one place to the next. Things are getting worse in the sense with the wind and the timing of it all. As we read in verse 9, it says, Now, since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. As we stop there for a second, We kind of see that things have transpired. They found a different ship in verse 6. They went from a small ship to a ship of Alexandria, much larger. Um, These were more like cargo ships. They carried grain, which if you know a little bit, when grain gets wet, it usually expands. And so it was very dangerous to transport this, but it was also something that was needed. The timing of the year in verse 9, it says, when which. Much time had passed and it was now dangerous because of the fast. Speaking of Yom Kippur, most likely this was during the autumn time, which was not, uh, autumn and winter were times that you would not travel the seas, the Mediterranean seas, just because the weather was rough. Um, the best times was spring and summer and they missed their opportunity. Now a cargo ship, if it were to transport during that time, probably got a premium of transport, like it was riskier. So they're like, hey, we'll pay you more. And so they were able to do that. And they're willing to go. And Paul speaks for the very first time. And what does he tell them? He says, as he sees it's dangerous, he's like, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not just of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives, in verse 10. Paul's not a sailor. I just chuckle. He's not this nautical understanding of things. Like, he didn't grow up on the seas and yet he's giving advice to these hardened sailors of like, hey, I'm just letting you know this isn't going to be good. We shouldn't go forward. And what do you think they do? Do you think they listen to him? Of course not. It's like me going to tell Dane how to farm or something. Like, here's what you need to do with your cows when I don't even know the difference between the different types of cows. One is a hairy cow and one's black and white cow. I don't know the difference. And yet it'd be like me telling Dane something and he'd be like, you don't know what you're talking about. This is like Paul saying, hey, I'm telling you, but it wasn't because he was trying to speak in a terms of understanding uh, the, being a sailor. He's saying because he understands and maybe there's just this like, there's a dark cloud up there and that doesn't look good. To the fact maybe he had, again, insight from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is just not going good. In verse 11, It says, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said, of course. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter, winter there. So they were trying to find a suitable harbor, and then, of course, It doesn't. In verse 37, it tells us there were 276 people on board. And this was uh, not the, the, like I said, it was a big, big ship, and it wasn't easy to get to and fro. Things get worse. Verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Cree close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the northeaster, this is not Whatcom County, struck down the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it, and we're driving along. We'll stop there. So kind of Luke's documenting. things are just getting worse. The wind's driving them along. Uh, there's these sailors, again, they, they've been in storms before, t- tough waters. They know what they're doing, and yet we're just getting this picture that things are getting from worse and worse and worse. Uh, Luke's documenting what they take place. They try to find the, 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 the side of the island that doesn't face the wind or the safer side of the island. They keep going from island, going from one place to the next. As they go in verse 17, they hoist up the, the lifeboat, the extra boat. Usually they would pull from behind, but because of the water and the winds, they didn't want it to ram into the boat and cause um, breakage in the hole. And then again, remember they had most likely grain. And if that got wet, then it would just basically get bigger and destroy the ship. And so they were doing everything they could. They also tie ropes around the hole to give it support, girding it. So Luke's painting this picture of how bad the weather is. Have you guys ever been in su- tough or stormy weather before on the water? Uh, I haven't been in like that. Shared with you that our first our, our cruise trip was on our honeymoon. It was from L.A. to Hawaii. And once we got into like the open water, the Pacific, there was a storm somewhat in the distance and the water was rocking. And if you've ever been on a cruise boat, they have stabilizers, so you don't feel it too much. And when it is, then, you know, it's really bad. Where you ate on the dining uh, floor deck, water was splashing up that high and people weren't really eating and said they were losing their food. Uh, There was just a lot of seasick people during that trip that that day. And, and I was excited because on the top deck where the pool was, it actually looked like there was waves. And I'm like, woo! Anyway, sorry. I did, the, I did go in the pool before they kicked me out. But, uh, but I was like, it's like the ocean. Anyway, um, but I've never been in anything crazy where I felt like we're going to die. This could be it. And so they were doing things to point to that this was bad. Verse 20, it says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... We kind of know a little bit about that. <laughs> but not like this. And no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Luke's writing this. I wonder if he felt like, man, we're dead. It says all hope has lost, like left us. The sailors are like, we're dead. And you know when the, like, the experienced people are saying that, you're like, oh, this isn't good. Like something's not good. Verse 21. And says, so, since they have been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail for Crete and, and cured this injury and loss. I kind of chuckle at Paul again. He's like, I told you so. <laughs> like, 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 is that the best time, Paul? I don't know, but he did. And he was trying to say, like, you listen to me, but it's, in a way he's kind of showing his authority of who God is and what God has done in his life. And I think it gives as we read why he was able to speak even more into their lives. He says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as... I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. He's talked to. He encourages them. He speaks. And then we kind of get the list of going on verses 27 through 32. He explains what that looked like. They stopped um, the sailors trying to abandon they're trying to like jump overboard. They're like, man, we're dead. And so they want to steal the lifeboat. And Paul t- tells the centurion like, hey, you need to stop them because if they're gone, we're all dead. And they cut the lifeboat, which I'm like, man, it just went from one thing to the next. Like, how's, how is the Lord going to save them and rescue them? And then in verse 33, it says, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food. Uh, 14 days in a storm. 14 days of rocking in a boat, not eating, and also knowing, like, are we going to make it? That'd be tough. And he says, having taken nothing, therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when we had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God. In the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. And we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. We'll keep going. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, in which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. So it was that all were brought safely to land. Again, notice that the centurion wanted to save Paul. They were ready to kill all the prisoners. They are like, man, because they were like, well, I got to worry about myself, let alone a prisoner. And again, it speaks of Paul's character and his influence That the centurion. It's like, no, no. Plus, there was something that Paul got to speak to saying like, hey, this is going to happen and God was going to deliver them. And it was great to see that. Now, I want to just remind you that today, as well as in your life, you have either gone through storms or you will go through storms. Maybe you've not gone through a, through a little literal storm like Paul out in the ocean, but we do and will face storms in this life. This should be expected. This shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, that we're going to go through tribulations. Uh, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy four different times to endure suffering. James tells us to, that we'll go through trials of various kinds and we're to do it with what? Joy. And so there's this aspect that we're going to go through these things in our life. The Christian life is not of one of ease, where we're going to face trials, we're going to face our, these storms in life. And let me just encourage you here is how you respond really does matter. How you respond does matter. Paul was in a literal storm, and this was a chance for Christ to be shown brightly, to be proclaimed. Paul's character rose to the surface for all to see it and pointed to Christ. What about yours? Number two, we need to understand that God does allow storms. If you've gone, known anything through all of this, is that hopefully you've seen that God's sovereignty is a big theme in the book of Acts. Really, that's what we see, is that God's orchestrating and moving and allowing and doing his, what God does, is that He's all-powerful, all-knowing. Storms are throughout the Bible, and they're the ones that we read that are literal are also deep in meaning. For example, God saved and delivered Noah through the floods, which I would deem a storm. And that was through judgment and salvation. Jonah ran from God, which will be the next book that we get to look at. And he was a prodigal prophet, and the storm was to get his attention and to bring him back, which we see God's conviction and redemption in that story. Jesus was in the boat with his disciples in Mark 4 during the storm, and he was asleep on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples were panicked as fishermen, ones who were seasoned sailors, and they were also, their hope was lost. Yet Jesus spoke to the storm, which speaks of his power over all. Each of these storms had a purpose, and the same is true for us as well. God allowed the storm that Paul went through. Remember, I said, how much can this man endure? He went from one thing, and now just getting to where he needs to go, it was difficult. We don't know, and this is where sometimes I wish, I'm like, well, what happened to those 276 people after this? God saved them. And they got to see what Paul said came true. He said, hey, not a hair of your head will perish. Yes, the ship will be lost. But look at what happens. We don't know. We don't know who became believers or not, but it impacted them, and God did it to show his glory and his power. In our lives, we go through things too, and we may not always know why. We don't know. Sometimes it's to draw us close to him, sometimes it may be to discipline us to get our attention. Sometimes it has nothing to do with us, but yet God is showing himself to other people through what we're going through. But we do know that God is sovereign. Remember Job and all that he went through and he was arguing his case before God or wanting to? Like if I can only share my case, if I have be able to bring up my case of what well, I'm innocent, I have done anything wrong, that I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty. And at the end of Job, when God has that conversation with Job and he shows up in a whirlwind and he reveals himself, but God never addresses Job's questions. He just says, where were you? And he starts listing aspects of creation. He's showing his power. Like, Job, you don't get it. You don't understand. And he starts saying all these things. Were you here? And what was Job's response to God? He says, like, man, I can't speak. Job 42, verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job realized that, God, you're sovereign. You're in charge. And Paul understood this because he could rest in the storm saying, maybe he does like, I don't know why we're going through this. Granted, you guys should have listened to me because we wouldn't have. But anyway, that's a side note. But he says, if you trust in God's sovereignty, then when you go through these things, the storms... You look at them differently and you say, God, you're, you're in charge. There's nothing that happens outside of God's knowledge and power that even means the storms in our lives, the trials that we go through, the suffering. As we know that God is aware of it, He cares, but we also know that He's working and He's moving. The storms in your life may seem like they're out of control, but be reminded of the one who is in control Charles Spurgeon, there's this gem of a quote that I want to share with you. But he said this: "Storms afford the safest sailing for a Christian. <laughs> calms are for him. For calms are for him more terrible than whirlwinds. Deep waters know no rocks. Shallow waters that gaily ripple are the perils of the sea of our life. Far out upon the ocean, where the horizon hath its round ring, and nothing is within sight." The ship is seldom much in danger, but near the shore, the white cliff gladdens the eye of the mariner, there the pilot must look well to his helm. He's saying it's better for the Christian to go through these storms with the Lord than to have the safety of the shore. There's actually more problems there. And that's true, is when we try to think of doing it on our own, and not trusting in God and knowing that, man, I'd rather go through the storms, if you will, with him, the one who has my life in his hands than without him, and like could be easy, it's worse. Number three, in the storm, know that Paul was encouraged, and then he also encouraged others. Paul spoke, and notice when he did, Paul's timing was always right, and what he said was right. In verse 10, the first time he spoke, he said, hey, There's danger ahead, loss of life, loss of the boat, loss of the cargo. He was trying to speak into the situation, and he wasn't listened to. The second time is in verse 21 through 26, and he told him about the Lord's presence and His promise. The third time is in verse 31, and he spoke up about the sailors trying to abandon the group. And the fourth, fourth, I can't speak, the fourth, Not the force. May the force be with you. Anyway, the fourth is in verses 32-33 through and he gives thanks to God. All those moments as he's in the flesh or he could have been in the flesh, he could have screamed, panicked, yelled. There could have been fear. But instead he spoke about God's peace and God's presence and His protection. It was a group of heathens, if you will, people that didn't know the lord say so we see those who came from what are their backgrounds but they weren't jewish and yet he spoke about who god is he used the term of my god or the one who created and he kind of was using that as an opportunity saying like i know something that you don't know and let me speak about him he spoke boldly because he trusted in God's sovereignty and what God was doing. Remember, there was a promise again. He said that an angel of the God that I served, the one I know, said that he would go to Rome. There's a reminder of God's presence and His promise. I kind of just say, Lord, help me to be like Paul in the storms of life or maybe when other people go through that. As I'm encouraged with God's Word, that I can encourage other people with God's Word. I do think God's Word is one thing that we sometimes neglect Think about it when you go through something. Some people, you know, genuinely say, I'm sorry, or man, that hurts, or even like, man, let me give you good vibes. I don't know what that means quite well when people say that. I'm sending good vibes your way. Okay. Um, the best thing I think, and what comforts me, is when scripture is shared because it's speaking truth. Um, and the best thing you could do when, with someone and share with them is what? God's Word. Remember that. So God, as Paul was encouraged with God, he encouraged others with who God is. He didn't worry. He was able to do that. Do you use the opportunity that you go through in your storms to have hope in Jesus? As, we think, as I was preparing, I couldn't help but think of our sister in Christ, Marcia Drain, who's gone home with, to be with the Lord now. It's been uh, six months. And... I remember having those conversations, and this just popped up in my head. I was like, Lord, thank you for that. Um, but I remember talking with her, and she would say how, yes, and she was honest about the struggle and situation, but she was also very confident that she was able, to, God's wills to use that for His glory. And she's like, got to have conversations with the nurses and the doctors about Jesus. I was able to share the gospel with them. And so I love the fact that she looked at her circumstance, which was bleak, But she said, may God be glorified and wanted to share the Gospel. Paul was confident in the Lord and he was able to speak about the Lord and his hope was in him. Number three, in the storm, Paul knew God was in charge and he had a calmness in that. And the same is true for you and I. Again, you don't see Paul panicking or freaking out. He wasn't running around the boat shouting, we're all going to die. Instead, you kind of almost see him take point and and say and lead in this situation. We'll get through this. The reality is yes, the ship's gone, but not a hair on our head will perish. God has us in his hands. He was able to have peace in a chaotic situation. And how did he do that? I think he just had a heart of thankfulness towards God. Remember, they didn't eat and they didn't see sun. It's been 14 days. I mean, they, they went past hangry. You know, they were bad. It was like, man, they, they were desperate. And he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. It wasn't communion. Some people look at that as like, well, is this communion? No, but it was a sign of what believers would do is they would always give thanks before the meal, before the Lord, which we do today as well. We're like, man, thank you, God, for your provision. It was to have a turn of attention off themselves and onto who God is. And so they were th- he was thanking God. He wasn't yelling or being mad at God. No, it was one of thankfulness. Paul was able to have hope in a hopeless situation because he knew who God was. Let me give you an encouragement too. is When you're in that moment of a despair or that storm in life, thank God. And you're like, thank God for the storm? You can. Thank God for His faithfulness. Thank God for His presence. Thank God for His peace. Thank God for His comfort. Thank God ultimately for what Jesus did and completed on the cross for you and I. And then number four, in closing, sometimes storms come to detour us. I'm not a big fan of detours. I like when I know where I'm going and it's there. But when there's a detour sign, And I'm like, man, I got to go around. I got to follow the signs. And usually it's slower because more people are going that way too. And everyone wants to look at what's going on. And I do too. And yes, I get it. But detours aren't bad. Here's a little glimpse getting into chapter 28, which we won't spend a lot of time in. But they were shipwrecked, but they got to go to this island. And there's an opportunity that Paul was used. Uh, That detour may have slowed Paul down, but it didn't mean that he wouldn't get to Rome because he still got there. It just was, again, God's timing, which is perfect. God will see you through. Maybe it'll look a little different about how or when, but he will. The promise is there that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Detours aren't bad. Just look at it that way. It's like he's sovereign, he's in charge. Let me end with this. As I started with John G. Patton and his story about what he went through, as he endured, let me just share that it went from bad to worse for him as well. When he left, he was married with his new wife. She was pregnant on the long journey to Vanuatu. They landed, and as she gave birth to their child, she died, and a few days later, their child died. He was in a new place, all alone, and there wasn't any other missionaries close by on the island. And he could have easily wanted to turn back, but he didn't. He endured. He didn't quit when the villagers later on that he went to share Christ with sought to kill him daily. And why is that? We know that the Lord used Patton's story to encourage thousands to call of the to, to call of missions worldwide. He did. Not only did he share in his autobiography, but when he would come back, there was this influx of passionate people to share the gospel. Counting the cost. Also, we know that the Lord used patent and his sacrifice to the different islands of Annawatu, where thousands came to know Christ even after the fact, that his legacy was there, and even to this day. And all because he endured the storms and detours, were kept his eyes on Jesus. You're going to go through storms in your life. But will you count the cost knowing that Christ is worth it? Are you content in him? Well, let's pray, church. God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. Um, As we see the example of Paul in the storm and how he went from one thing to the next, and now even with this, we see Your hand in it. God, we thank You that his character and integrity stood out. And I pray for the same for us as a church. Lord, that when people see us, even when we go through storms, that they would be able to see Jesus. That we'd be able to point to You. God, I thank You that even uh, through Paul, that his confidence in that moment that was hard, it was confident in You. And I pray the same is true for us, that we're confident in who You, God, that You are sovereign, that You're in charge. God, as You spoke and encouraged Paul, He was able to encourage these people who didn't know You. I pray the same for us as well. We're encouraged with Your Word. Help us to encourage others with Your Word. And God, help us to understand that as You're sovereign, sometimes detours come in our life. It changes direction, but You still bring us through to the end, just like You did with Paul. God, thank You for Your faithfulness. God, thank You that You are steadfast in love. Thank You for the greatest displays. we look to the cross and what Jesus did for us. That He lived a perfect, sinless life. That He gave Himself sacrificially upon the cross where He died for us, the one who knew no sin, who took on our sin. Jesus triumphantly conquered sin and death as he rose from the grave three days later what a great thing lord so we thank you for today we thank you for your word we thank you for the chance that we get to know you and what christ has done and if there's anyone here that doesn't know you lord that they would call on your name they would ask you and say jesus thank you for loving me thank you for seeing me through thank you for your steadfast love which was shown on calvary and the cross and what you did for me thank you jesus you rose from the grave and that you're alive Thank you, Jesus, you conquer sin and death. Thank you for today, Lord. Would you be with every family here? Would you comfort God? Would you encourage? Help us to build one another up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.